Today's reading is taken from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. If you are using the Black Pew Bible, it can be found on page 862. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We have the, the joy of welcoming some new members this morning. It's always great when the Lord brings uh, new people our way to be part of the body. So I want to invite Ibrahim and Sheila Mangini to come forward, as well as Mark and Onita Tornay. Bring, bring your kids up, too. That's fine. <clears throat> In case you you're, have the question, our membership at ICP is open to anyone who knows the Lord. Uh, if you have a desire for membership, we invite you to talk to one of the elders and we'll go through that process with you. Yeah, that's anywhere's fine. <laughs> it's all good. Um, and you don't have to, membership here uh, doesn't really affect membership in a home church in your home country. You may, some of us, most of us are here in a second country and uh, really it doesn't affect that relationship at all. So anyway, just know that we welcome you. We feel like it's healthy for you to be part of a body, part of a local fellowship, wherever you are. So we want to encourage that. This allows you to speak into the life of the church as well as the church to, to speak into your life. So it's a, it's a good and biblical and healthy thing. So I have three questions, three easy questions. We've practiced this, although you know I've done this before and I have actually messed it up. So I'm going to try to do it right today and we'll see how the exam goes. Good luck to all. So this is Mark and Onita Tournay. They're from the Netherlands and they have Boaz and Faya and Ezra with them. And this is Ibrahim and Sheila Bangini. Uh, Ibrahim is, is Czech, and uh, Sheila is originally from Kenya. So it's a joy to welcome them. After the service today, let me encourage you to, you see them now, be sure to find them and give them a special personal welcome, okay? So three questions. First, have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior and confessed him as your Lord? If so, please answer, I have. I have. Are you in agreement with the purpose and statement of faith of the International Church of Prague? If so, please answer, I am. And do you commit to being a part of the ICP family, supporting the church with your attendance and prayers and giving and service? If so, please answer, I do. Good. Now, church, I have a question for you. Surprise, pop quiz here. Church, do you commit to encouraging these new members in their faith, their witness, their spiritual growth in Christ, to pray for them as members of this local body of believers, at the International Church of Prague? If so, say, we do. Very good. Let me pray, and you can be seated. Father, we thank you for bringing uh, these two families into the fellowship of this church. We pray that you will keep them in your name, that you will keep them from the evil one, that you will sanctify them by your truth, and that you will make them one with this body, a living and vital part of your body of Christ here at ICP. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the grace that you have shown to them in drawing them to Christ, to faith in Christ, and for bringing them our way. Help us to be a good and healthy church to them. Help them be a healthy part of, of life here. 
We love you. We thank you for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We do want to welcome you into membership, and I want to encourage you. Uh, Becky and I have had the, the joy and privilege of getting to know Mark and Onetta and Ibrahim and Sheila, and I tell you, they're our treasure. I mean, just what God is doing in their heart and their life, their, the joy that they have for the Lord, um, their passion to serve Him, it, it will rub off on you. So I want to encourage you to get to know these amazing families and to truly welcome them into the life of the International Church of Prague. The verses that uh, Eunice read for us talk about God is light. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That fellowship isn't just with you and I, it's a fellowship with God. And the tabernacle that we've been looking at, when you move into the holy place, it is all about fellowship. When you go in there where the furniture is, those gold pieces of furniture of, that we're going to look at a little more today, all of them tell us about what it means to have fellowship, to have union with God and how to enjoy that. And, and we need to remember that the tabernacle, as, as we began to look at it, was God's first step in moving closer to us. Remember his desire, what he said in Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That's the desire of our God. And so the first thing that we all need to grab a hold of is the truth that God wants us to be with him, to spend time with him, to enjoy him. If you can really believe that and not just think that's for certain special people, but he really intends it for every one of us, it will transform your life because you'll begin to see more and more ways how God has moved closer to you and how we can begin then to move closer to him. Everything about the tabernacle talks and tells us a story of God's pursuit of and provision for us. That's what it's all about. The overall design that we've, we've already looked at, and I'm just going to touch on and review, had three sections. The courtyard, then inside the tabernacle itself with the holy place, and then there was a, a square, the innermost chamber, the holy of holies. Each of those reflect Jesus' words where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the way to God, and that's what we see in the courtyard. Everything about the courtyard deals with salvation and dealing with the judgment for sin. That's why you have the altar there where um, innocent um, blood was sacrificed as a substitute for, uh, for us that ultimately points to the cross. The bronze laver was a picture of two things. It was a picture of baptism, of recognizing that God washes us clean, that our old life is buried and that we walk again in newness of life. I, I showed you, if you were here last week, um, I showed you that in the basin, because it was made of mirrors, there were two reflections, one reflection in the water and another reflection in the bronze. Um, the one in the water showed the old us that's uh, a regular reflection. We're buried with Christ. But the one in the mirror was upside down because we have a new life. We're not just from the earth up. We're from heaven downward in Christ. 
And it's a beautiful picture of that transformation that we saw um, as Sophie displayed and, and shared so wonderfully today. The basin also represents the washing of water of the word that all of us need our lives continually cleansed as we go into God's presence. We need his word to illuminate our hearts, to convict us of sin, to show us areas that are out of union with Christ. And that's the picture that happens there. But when you walk into the tabernacle itself, it has nothing at all to do with judgment anymore. It is now about fellowship and intimacy. And and this is the message that God is inviting us into. Everything about it pointed to a restored fellowship with God. And it's interesting, when you read the, the, I told you there are 50 chapters that deal with the, the tabernacle. When God begins to describe the tabernacle, he doesn't start with the tent or the courtyard, he starts with the furniture. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were building a house, chances are you wouldn't start with the blueprint for where you want the couch and the TV to be and what you want it to look like. You'd probably start with the frame. But because God was most interested in fellowship with us, he starts with the things that are going to display and teach us about our relationship with him. And so it tells us a great deal about his desire for us. And so quickly, I'm just going to hit a little overview of those pieces of furniture that were inside the tabernacle. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on it was a mercy seat that was surrounded by two cherubim, which we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. And there in the midst of that mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, there dwelt the presence of God. And it was a picture of God the Father. We see two things in in that. Number one, we see that our God is a consuming fire because they would have seen shining down from heaven into the Holy of Holies this brilliant light where our God is pure, is holy, is perfect. And in our sin, we can't approach him. But there's another truth of the mercy seat, and that is that God made a way for him to display his loving kindness to us. One of the greatest um, things in all the scripture is how it talks about God's loving kindness, which means a covenant love, a love based on his promise, not on our keeping our promise. It's the love of the Father. And the Ark of the Covenant all points to the Father. Um, Now, each person of the Trinity is involved in each piece, but there's, there's a dominance to each piece as well. We move back into the holy place. We looked last week at the table of showbread or the table of presence. And it reminds us that Jesus is our supply. He is the bread of life. And that is a role that we constantly go to him for life, for provision. His life within us. Then we have the lampstand, which is what we're going to look at today. And the lampstand ultimately is a picture of the life and work of the Holy Spirit in, in, the, in the daily interaction of a believer and of the church as a whole. And then there's the altar of incense, one more piece of furniture. And it has a dual role as well. First of all, it represents Jesus as our high priest because he is there um, um, praying and interceding for us. But it's also a picture of us. And, and we'll see this next week when we look at it in depth It is a picture of our prayers that permeate through that veil into the very presence of God, and it's incredible. 
So everything in there points ultimately to our relationship with God. So let's begin to look at the golden lampstand. If you have your Bibles, I want you to to look at the description of it because God is very specific about all the details of this lampstand. Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. And I'm going to read this in the New International Version because it has words that I, in the ESV, which I usually use, that I both cannot pronounce and no one would know what it means. So we're going to use the NIV today for this. It says, make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft, and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms, one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch and three on the next branch. And all the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One one bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to made of pure gold. A talent of gold is to be used for the lampstand and all its accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God gives a lot of details for a lampstand. Now, this is a, a tiny little one that's, that's Becky and I's a little menorah. This was the shape of what it would look like. But it says here that it was made of a talent of gold. It was all one piece. It's not... They didn't forge one arm and then fit it into the shaft. It was all forged of one solid piece of gold, and a talent is the equivalent of 35 kilos of gold. That's a lot of gold. It was incredibly valuable, which is why when Titus destroyed um, Jerusalem, he took, as as we looked at that engraving uh, in the Arch of Titus last week, he took the golden lampstand with him because it was worth you know, what would be equivalent today of millions and millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of crowns, a lot. And God is incredibly specific about all these details, but there's a reason for it because each one of these details tells us something about God and about our relationship with him. Now, the first thing that you need to recognize is that this lampstand, once you walked into the tabernacle, There was no natural light. There was no windows. It was all designed to be lit just by this lampstand. In the Holy of Holies, that would have been lit by the presence of God himself. But here in the holy place, this this first chamber that you would come into, it was lit by this seven-branched lampstand. Now, it would have been amazing because in God's design for the tabernacle, there were multiple um, overlapping curtains that he had designed that were very ornate. They had gold woven into them. They had figures of cherubim that were, that were there in the curtains. But on the sides of the tabernacle, he instructed, if we read through um, Exodus 25 through 40, we discover that there were walls, there were panels of wood on the walls of the tabernacle that were covered in pure gold. So when the lampstand was lit, 
everything in the tabernacle would have glowed with this wonderful, warm, golden light. It would have, it would have felt warmth and, 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 and inviting in incredible ways because it was designed to point us to fellowship with God. It was the only light, and that points to this truth that we see in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said and spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God wants us in his presence, and he's provided a way through Jesus for us to experience that. It's also made of pure gold, a reminder that our fellowship with him, that he is holy. And so we need to come with the right heart and a right attitude. Just as we we read um, in 1 John, that we need to walk in the light. That if we're in disobedience, we're out of fellowship with the Lord. That's why God makes a big deal about sin, by the way. It's not because he's watching to see how many times you and I mess up. It's because he desires you to have life. And that life is found in union with him, in fellowship with him. The lampstand also pointed to Jesus as the good news, that that light had come into the world. This is what we see in John chapter 3, verse 19. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light. And Jesus there is, is... pointing back to a passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, where it says this about the coming of Jesus. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. He wants us to come into his light, to come into his presence. Also, the lampstand pictures something in heaven because when we fast forward and we we look at the description of heaven, we discover that there's no longer a sun. Um, You know, everything that we know about natural light is lit by the big orange ball in the sky that we know as the sun. But in the new heaven and the new earth, we need to understand that the sun is a lamp. It is not light itself. It is a lamp. Light is something that reflects out of the character and nature of God. So look what it says for just a moment. Turn all the way towards the end of your Bible to Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation 21, verses 22 through 25, here's how the new Jerusalem that comes down to earth, how it is described. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So he's saying we don't need a temple to go and worship anymore, which is one of the reasons why we don't have one today. But God's presence will dwell there wherever you are in the city, really wherever you are in the world. His presence will be with you. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, which is Jesus. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. When you walked into the tabernacle, what was required of the priests was that they kept that lampstand burning constantly. 
Because it was a picture, a foretaste of being in God's presence means there is no night. There is no darkness because darkness represents where where evil happens, where fear creeps up in our life. And so God designed the tabernacle to be a picture of the peace that we have in fellowship with him. When we know that he is with us, everything is lit, everything is good. And it points to how the Lord will be that light. The lampstand also illuminates what it means to walk in the light of God's word. Oftentimes in the scripture, it describes the Bible as light. One of the most important verses is in Psalm 119, 105, where it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God gives us his word that reflects out of the character of who he is so we can have light to learn how to navigate this life, to deal with the challenges that we have in our lives, in our families, in the workplace, in our own hearts. He wants to illuminate us with his word and show us how to live. Also, the shape of the lampstand was very significant. Um, It was made to look like a tree. That's the whole idea, is that it's these, you know, we look at this and we see today a Jewish menorah, but what they would have seen was a representation, first of all, of the tree of life. It was a reminder that one day God would restore our access to the tree of life because he would take care of sin and we'd be able to come fully into his presence. And so it was a reminder of the tree of life But also, all of its decorations, remember when I read that, it talks a lot about almonds, almond buds, almond blossoms, almond flowers, almond fruit. What is the deal with almonds? I mean, why is that a big deal, right? You know, it's like, you know, why not petunias or some other flower or something? In in the Jewish language, in, in Hebrew, the word for almond means the awakening one. Because the almond tree was the first tree to blossom and to bear fruit in the Middle East. It was the first one to awake from the winter. The almond tree was a picture of the resurrection. Coming out of the winter of death, it's the first one that came to life. It was the first one that brought forth fruit. It was a reminder, and it pointed to what God himself would do and how Jesus would be the first fruits of the resurrection. But it also, it not only was an awakening one, awakening one, but it was a picture of watching, watching over God's word. And, and, and when you read it in, in Hebrew, awakening and watching, watching are really very, very similar ideas. And here's what it says, look at in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, God gives a vision to Jeremiah And it says this, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. When they would have looked at that candelabra, at that lampstand with those almond decorations and flowers and buds, it would have reminded them of an almond branch. And the promise of God's word is that everything he has said He is watching over to make sure it comes to pass. 
There's no promise in God's word that he will not fulfill. He is watching to bring it to bear, both globally and for us individually as well. And it's an incredible promise. And that was all pictured because God designed this lampstand to look like almond blossoms. And it was incredibly ornate. And it was all made, it's not, again, it wasn't like it was, you know, if we were to make something like this today, or even this, this one, you'd make a mold and cast it. The design of the lampstand in the tabernacle was not cast in a mold. It was hammered out of pure gold and engraved by incredible skill. In fact, when it describes Bezalel, who was the man who um, was gifted and filled with the Holy Spirit to make the lampstand and the other furnishings, it describes him as the first time that we see in the scripture of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a preacher. It was a craftsman. Isn't that cool? Because preachers get way too much credit, okay? I mean, God has this man who's working with his hands, designing something beautiful and artistic that was going to reflect the glory of God, and he fills him with his Holy Spirit. It's a reminder that every one of us, no matter what your work is, God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and make it something beautiful and amazing. I mean, maybe you do accounting. And it doesn't sound very glamorous. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're taking his presence into the workplace, it is artistic. It may just look like numbers, but the way that you do it, filled with his spirit, is something beautiful. It is an act of worship to the Lord and others will notice it. So we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Bezalel was in making this. And that points us to the, to the most significant thing about the lampstand is that it displayed the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's witness and work in the world. And I want to show you this beginning with Jesus because we, what we see in Jesus is that Jesus does not begin his ministry until he is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was fully God. He didn't need the Holy Spirit, to empower him. He had all the power of the Godhood. But he chose in obedience to humble himself and to operate, because he is fully God and fully human, to operate in the same way that we do, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he does is he does his ministry by the, by the working and filling of the Holy Spirit in his life First, as an example to us as to how we are to do even greater works, which is what he promised us. That's why when Jesus makes this statement where he says, I am the, la- excuse me, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's talking about how the Holy Spirit is working out of him and through him to accomplish all of God's plan and purpose. But then A little later, in fact, just a chapter later in John chapter 9, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's setting the stage because he's going to literally pass the torch from himself to us. That's why we read in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, that you are the light of the world. That's why I wanted to remind us of that in baptism. This is who God says we are. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That light is a picture of the working of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and of our assignment to be the light of the world. We see this even more descriptively if we, if we and I'm giving you a lot of information today and, and it may be hard to follow. I pray the Lord will help connect the dots. But if we look into Revelation chapter one, uh, Revelation one and, and two, Jesus in a vision to, that he gives to John writes a letter to seven churches in Asia. And when he first appears, what John sees in Revelation chapter 1 is he sees a vision of the risen Lord that is incredibly stunning. His feet are as bronze, which is judgment, and his, his covering is all pure white. His hair is white, reflecting the glory and righteousness of who he is. And there's a golden sash upon him, and he's there standing amongst seven golden lampstands. And he goes on to describe and says those seven golden lampstands are the seven churches because the light has been passed to us. We are to be the light of the world to accomplish the fulfillment of Jesus' work and plan. And that's what's illustrated there in Revelation chapter chapter 1. If you want to read it about it, it's Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. We're responsible now as the light of the world to, um, to do what Jesus has commanded, to live in such a way that other people don't see us, but they see the goodness and glory of the Father through what we do, through how we live, through what we say, and how we love. The light of the world is the work and witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to, I want to take you to... Um, wow, I'm running out of time. But all right, this is going to get really interesting or really weird, one of the two. So hang with me. Revelation chapter 4, because here we're going to see a glimpse of how this lampstand directly connects with the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 4, um, we enter into the throne room of heaven, and, and there's a description that's, that's happening, and it's going to be uh, reinforced in chapter 5 as well if you want to read about it. But it says this, From the throne, the throne of God, came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, how many of you are going, what? I thought there was one Holy Spirit. And here it says there are seven spirits of God. What does that mean? Well, I, I have good news for you. First of all, there is one Holy Spirit, only one. But in, in the scripture, the number seven is the number of perfection. And so when it speaks about God and his character and his perfection, seven is also often associated with it. But what it means here in this is, again, it's a picture of this lampstand that represents the Holy Spirit upon which there would have been seven lamps that were burning bright with with oil, which is also a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what it points to are seven attributes of the Holy Spirit that you and I relate to, 
There's seven dynamics. I mean, he's, he's more complex than that because he's fully God, but there are at least seven specific ways that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life and my life, and there, there are ways that he worked in Jesus' life as well. So let me show you what these seven attributes, where they come from. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 11. This is the one passage that, that really illustrates this and fleshes this out. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, if you're, if you're not very familiar with the scripture, you're, you're going, what? And it's, it's a picture here. Jesse was the father of David, King David. And so what it's saying is the stump is there because the, the kingdom of David had been destroyed by this time. There were no longer any kings. And so his lineage was, was broken. It was cut off. And it says there's a new life that's coming out of this dead stump. Out of, out of Jesse's line, something new is going to happen. A new branch is going to grow. And that branch is Jesus Christ. That's who it's pointing to. This is talking about Jesus. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So it's coming to life again. And and look what it says. It gives us seven descriptions right here. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And what you see here described um, visually would have looked just like this lampstand. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. That's that center shaft. And then it's in pairs. Did you notice that, how he's saying it? It's saying there's a, um, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. In fact, I, I made a little video of this. I had a whole lot of fun with um, a new piece of software last night. And yeah, I didn't sleep. I played on the computer. So there's a little, yeah, here you go. Let it go in the background, and it'll help illustrate all this. I was having too much fun. But while that's playing in the background and showing us this candle, candle stand, this lampstand, excuse me, these attributes of the Holy Spirit are, are the Spirit of the Lord is God's presence with us and work through us in the world. This passage was saying this is what the Holy Spirit was going to do with Jesus. His presence would be upon him and would work through him. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's why the scripture says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are the place where the Holy Spirit now dwells, just as it dwelt in Jesus Christ. Then there's the first pair, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. The Holy Spirit is the source of wisdom. In fact, the scripture says in in 1 Corinthians, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. One of the things that that the religious leaders of Jesus' day um, constantly remarked on was that Jesus spoke as one with authority. He spoke in a way that was different. He wasn't saying the same thing as all the other rabbis. There was something transformative about what he was teaching. It was the spirit of wisdom of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him. With that, the other side of the pair is a spirit of understanding. The Holy Spirit knows you and I best. 
In fact, in Romans 8.16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This means that he will bring to mind all that Jesus has done and all that he has taught so that we can live in union with him. That spirit of understanding is what helps us understand we have a brand new identity. My identity is not based upon my performance. My identity is based upon belonging to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That understanding changes our viewpoint of everything. It takes the, perspective, or it takes the pressure off of having to succeed, of having to, to be well thought of. Instead, we can say, Lord, I just want to be who you want me to be, a spirit of understanding. And then there's another pair, a spirit of counsel and a spirit of might. Counsel means that the Holy Spirit is our advocate who advises and intercedes for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it talks about how he intercedes with us, for us with groanings we cannot understand. He is there um, standing in your stead, interceding for you, fighting for you. This is the beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit, which seems really mysterious, you need to remember the first thing about him is that he is for you. He loves you because God loves you, and he is God. And then with that is a spirit of might. Here's the, here's the thing. You and I have very limited resources and power. But in the Holy Spirit, there is, we have unlimited resources and power to accomplish God's will and God's purpose. This is what Jesus did. The way that he did all of his miracles was through the might of the Holy Spirit. When he stilled the storm, when it was raging and they were there on the boat and he simply said, peace, be still, he was exercising the might and the power of the Holy Spirit. And and we see this reflected in in Zechariah chapter 4 where it says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God will give you everything you need to accomplish his will for your life. He is the strength. He is the resource. And this lampstand is, is helping us remember that. That these are different ways that the Holy Spirit wants to interact with you and with me. And then the next two is the spirit of knowledge. This is a little bit different. The Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of God's word to us and the wisdom to be able to live that truth on a daily basis. It's not just knowing with head knowledge. It's experiential knowing. When the Bible talks about knowing, it's not about facts. It's about experience. It's about having it inside of us in such a way that we're able to live it. And that brings us to the, to the seventh one, which is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, who gives us a recognition of God's righteousness and holiness, and a remembrance of judgment so that we can turn to the Lord in faith again and again. He convicts, enlightens, purifies us to be more and more like Jesus and to shine as light in the world. Now, I've, I've given you guys, don't worry, I'm not going to take all the time to go through it. I gave an insert because as I was looking at this, I was realizing that there's so much more here for us to see. And so I wanted to give you something to take home 
that maybe in, in your quiet time you can look up these verses, you can, you can look through um, these, these attributes of the Holy Spirit and, and begin to ask the Lord, say, Lord, would you help me to relate to you, to understand how you give wisdom? Because I need wisdom in this area. You've promised that, that you are the spirit of wisdom, and, and because I've trusted you, you live with inside of me, and so show me how to connect with that wisdom. And, and the way to find that, the way to make that connection is always through God's word. And the same is true for each one of these attributes. If you feel weak, you need to pray to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, you are the one who empowers it is not by my strength. It is not by the resources of this world. It is by your spirit. And so I'm going to lean on you. Would you open the way? Would you provide the resource? Would you provide the power to be able to accomplish this which is heavy on my heart? And what I want to encourage you to do is to, is to take this and, and read through it. And on the back side, we see how um, the, the aspects or the attributes of what it says about the Holy Spirit um, being in and on Jesus Christ, what that looked like. And then we have Jesus' own words in John chapter 14 um, through 16. They're also listed there with one aspect of the Holy Spirit where he's, um, he illustrates this and he says, and I will ask the Father, this is John 14, 16, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's the same promise. The same promise that the Holy Spirit in the writing of the word through Isaiah said about the spirit of the Lord resting upon Jesus. Jesus gave that same promise to you and me. We need to not only know that but claim it and live it. And the same is true with every one of these other aspects. Because from that point on, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, there are attributes of the Holy Spirit that are put together in pairs, just like the branches of the lampstand. Does that make sense? I want to encourage you to read it. And if you have questions, um, let me know. But here's the thing. For many of us, the Holy Spirit is a mystery. We, we know very little about it. But God has designed us so that we have relationship, we have fellowship, not just with God, but with each person of the Godhead. God is one being with three persons. And so we can pray to the Holy Spirit. We can ask for his guidance. We can ask for his help in our life. And his, his guidance will always be in sync with the word. It will always be in sync with Jesus and with the Father. But he invites us to get to know him and discover how he wants to work in our life and to fill us with his presence. Just as the light filled the tabernacle, shining off these, this amazing lampstand with its seven lamps, that's what God wants to do in you. You are the temple of God. Can you imagine picturing what it would be like to have your life truly filled with the flame of, of seven lamps inside? The joy, the peace, the assurance. That's why Jesus, when he describes the Holy Spirit, he calls him our helper, our comforter, our guide, our advocate. That's what God wants to do inside of you. Just as the lampstand lit the physical tabernacle, 
He wants to light up your life with his presence. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I know this is a lot of information that I don't even understand yet, let alone live. I pray, Lord, you'd help put the pieces together and that we will leave this place with a greater desire to be in your presence, that we'll want to move closer to you, we'll want to understand more about your work, Holy Spirit, in us. Lord, guard our hearts from grieving you. Lord, let us not take your presence lightly. I think of the words of David when he cried out after he was convicted of his sin. He said, take not the Holy Spirit from me. He understood how vital your presence in our life is. Lord, help us to grasp that truth and to live it. Lord, I ask that you would fill us as your church with your Holy Spirit, with your presence, Lord, so that we truly may live our lives before others in such a way that they may see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Lord, that is the deepest desire of our heart. So do in us whatever you need to do, Holy Spirit, to cleanse us, to convict us, to empower us, Lord, that we may be the people you have called us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.